Let's get this party started. Welcome to Tinsel Tunes. I am musician and producer Scott Newman. And I'm musicologist Jay LaChapelle. Happy middle of February, Jay. Same to you, buddy. How you doing? Doing good. We got Valentine's Day behind us. We have no real holidays for the foreseeable future, do we? We don't. We don't. And I don't want to get into uh, other holidays. This is a Christmas show, but I will tell you that I have uh, procured an early supply of jelly beans. Okay. And uh, have worked my way through several pounds of them already in the last week. (laughs) Sounds like these holidays are just about candy for you. They really are. They really are. But uh, I, you know, it's been a tough couple of weeks at work, and uh, the wife came home with a bag full of jelly beans, and that was just what I needed. Yeah, you got to get the good ones, though. The Brock's only for me. Or Jelly Belly. Yeah, yeah. That's precisely what they are. Okay. Jay, since we're in a fallow period here, kind of in the depth of winter and no holidays in the foreseeable future, I thought we'd go back to basics today and talk about a cornerstone or a tentpole Christmas song. Okay. So, Jay, if I say to the average person on the street, name a Christmas song, chances are they're going to name one of a couple. And I think today's song is one of them. When I say jingle bells to you, do you instantly get Christmas vibes? Yes. And I would say that's probably four out of five people that you ask. That would be the song they pick. It's also a secular song. It's, well, Truly, it's not even a Christmas song, but we'll get to that. It's not a carol that some people might not like the content of. I think this is a pretty universal song. Yes, I would agree. And it evokes, I think, instantly a, a series of emotions and feelings that are obviously synonymous with the holiday and with the winter time of year. Right. Can you give us an overview of Jingle Bells? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the song. So the song that we know today, Scott, as Jingle Bells was actually written by a fellow by the name of James Lord Pierpont in 1857. And as we're going to talk about, this guy was a, a rather interesting and troubled individual, actually. Well, Somewhat controversial, but, you know, he lived a storied life for sure. And he wrote this song in the 1850s around the same time as the Civil War and the Gold Rush and a very, you know, a really just a a tumultuous time in American history. And it's not really a Christmas song at all. There's actually no mention uh, of Christmas anywhere in the songs. Uh, And one of the things I found really interesting, Scott, in the research is that it's not actually a Christmas song and that it was quite risque for the time because it hinted at picking up girls and high-speed crashes. Drag racing, really, of the time. This is like the Fast and the Furious of the 1850s. Yeah, and there's really something charming about reading this and doing the research because you're like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know? It's also funny to see what was so shocking and controversial in the time and seems so benign now. Just to drill down on this for a second, too, especially for most of us who are alive and listening to podcasts today, One Horse Open Sleigh is one of the lyrics, the lines in the song that is, you know, of course, imprinted. Well, not only that, Jay, it was the original title. Right. And it's imprinted in our memories. Right. But the the reason um, why it's relevant to the origin of the song is something I think is very cool and very Christmassy, especially, you know, if you've ever spent Christmas in a cold climate or in the snow and you've been outside at night and, you know, there's fires lit and people are drinking and singing and having a good time. Yeah. The song was actually inspired by a one horse sleigh race between 
two towns in Massachusetts that took place and that James Pierpont observed and inspired him to write this song. And if you think about what I just said in terms of that being outside at night and everybody's drinking and it's winter and it's snowing, but somehow you're not cold, you know, or you're just the right amount of cold, that sort of feeling is uh, captured very much in the song. And I never knew that before doing the research for this, that that's obviously where the inspiration came. And I can I can relate very much to that kind of feeling. And that's interesting because this is a ubiquitous song. We've heard it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And you're right. Doing the research for this episode, I filled in a lot of little gaps that I didn't know and that we're going to get to. One of the things I found really interesting, we mentioned it already, was the original title was The One Horse Open Sleigh. And it wasn't until two years later in 1859 that the title on the sheet music was changed to Jingle Bells or The One Horse Open Sleigh. I thought that was pretty neat. The original lyrics and melody are slightly different from what we know today. Should I play a clip of what the original melody and lyrics are? Yeah, do that. And then I have a question about the sheet music thing. Sure. So I'm going to play this. This is a clip of a musician named Tom Rausch playing the original melody and lyrics. It's a modern recording of the original lyrics. Here we go. Through the snow in a one horse open sleigh. Over the hills we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. Oh, what sport to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what joy it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh. Jay, I was watching you while that was playing, and you did the dog thing where you tilt your head when he got to the chorus there, because the chorus is different. Instead of going jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way, it was jingle all the way, and I don't have the the notes exactly right there, but it's very different in an extremely subtle way. It went up where it was supposed to go down, I think would be the in my untrained ear. Yeah. So what does this mean that the the name was changed on the sheet music? Is that something significant or is that just like historically as like the record show at some point between these years when it was getting passed around that changed from being called this to being called something else? From what I saw, the original sheet music was published in 1857 for this. In the second printing of it in 1859, the title was changed. And I don't think there's a huge significance to that. Okay. When you publish a book in its second printing, you really wouldn't change the title. So it is a little odd. Yeah. Maybe it just was, you know, more known as Jingle Bells instead of the one horse open sleigh. And it made more sense to call it that. I don't know that we can read too much into it, but it is interesting that it became what we know later on. Jingle Bells rolls off the tongue a little easier than the one yeah, I was absolutely so maybe does, that's yeah. why that changed. Jay, why don't we get into who James Lord Pierpont was, and then we can get into some of the controversy surrounding the origin of the song. Yeah, absolutely. And so interestingly enough, Scott, Pierpont was born in 1822 in Massachusetts to the son of an abolitionist. And that's important. Put a pin in that one. Yeah, we're putting some emphasis on this. Uh, In the 1850s, he moved to Savannah, Georgia, where he joined his brother, who was a minister and in Savannah's Unitarian congregation. Uh, He he played music in the church. He took a post as an organist and a music director. And, you know, by all accounts, seems to be falling in with, uh, you know, pretty good paths 
so to speak. Um, he also began writing of his New England Christmases and longing for the snow in New England customs, which is something, Scott, I know that you are very personally familiar with as well. Oh, yeah, you and I both are. We're from New England, and this evokes not memories of drag racing sleigh rides, just, you know, the overall <laughs> feeling of Christmas. Yeah. And I do think you, you, when you move out of that sort of that Northeast, you do realize that something that you lived with every year that you, you may taken for granted is something that people, you know, write songs about and think about. So it's definitely a different perspective when you don't have it. Yeah. And there's a nostalgia for it. We were younger, so that's important. But even if you didn't love shoveling snow or driving in it, I'm sure somebody has a happy memory of seeing the snow falling or the calm and the peace of the whole thing. Right, right. And no offense to the peach state, uh, Scott, but <laughs> does this mean that Jingle Bells, like an iconic song about sledding, was written in Georgia? Uh, we don't know. And this is a big point of controversy between Boston and Savannah. Okay. So according to the book, Boston Curiosities, I'm going to read a, a little blurb from it. Jingle Bells was written by Medford, Massachusetts resident James Pierpont in 1850, inspired by the annual one-horse open sleigh races on Salem and Pleasant Streets between Medford Square and Malden Square. Pierpont penned the racy little ditty in Simpson's Tavern, a boarding house that had the only piano in town. And that's a charming little story, but unfortunately the authors didn't provide any source for that information. And there is a historical plaque in the Boston suburb of Medford, and it claims that Pierpont wrote his famous tune while nursing a drink in the Simpson Tavern in 1850. But according to the research, that date is unlikely for two reasons. Uh, number one, Pierpont probably would not have waited seven years to publish the song from 1850 to 1857 because he was constantly broke which is something we're going to get into a little bit uh, later. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most compelling things too, right? Yeah. This guy had an ace in the sleeve. Why would he have held on to it, right? Exactly. And number two, the research shows that he was still in California chasing the gold rush in 1850. It's very likely that this story is apocryphal. We're going to flip to the Savannah side of the story here. There's a historical marker in Savannah, Georgia, that claims to be the place where Pierpont wrote the song. Pierpont did move to Georgia in the 1850s. We don't have more specific information than that, but some historical accounts have him temporarily living in that Boston rooming house in 1857. So it's really murky. We'll never know for sure, but the one thing that is not in dispute is that Pierpont was drawing on those memories of sleigh rides and sleigh races in Massachusetts, not sleigh rides in Georgia, because there aren't any. Mm. Uh, we also know that the song was copyrighted when he was living in Savannah in 1857. So I guess the answer, Jay, is we don't know. And it's just a fun little controversy. Yeah. Does it really matter? Uh, only to the people who make historical plaques, I think. We know the guy wrote it. We know what he wrote it about. We're just not sure where he wrote it probably irrelevant, but I wonder, given the timing of when it was copyrighted and where we were as a country and where, you know, the legal system was. And, you know, I just wonder if there was any reason why, you know, that would have maybe motivated him to go to Georgia to do something differently. He went to Georgia to join his brother's church. We know that. Right. But 
they were abolitionists, and we're going to get to this in a minute, and maybe that's a good segue. He wasn't. So why don't you tell us what yeah. happened to James Lord Pierpont after writing the song, and then we're going to hang it up on the history of this guy after we get through this part. So tell us about James Lord Pierpont's rest of his life after writing the song. Well, Scott, like many before him and many after him, Pierpont, although he seemed to be on a, a pretty happy path, uh, <laughs> broke bad. And when the Civil War broke out, and uh, you know, depending on how you look at this, I'm going to say history uh, adjudicated that how things worked out. And Pierpont backed the Confederate cause against his family's wishes, who once again will remind you were strict Unitarians opposed to slavery. So he joined the Confederacy and uh, somewhat enthusiastically, too, I might add, writing songs and anthems such as Strike for the South, We Conquer or Die, how'd that one work out, and Our Battle Flag. (laughs) So he remained in Georgia after the war uh, and lived out his final years, I think, in Florida, and he ultimately died in 1893. And I am, you know, I'm connecting a lot of dots here, but it seems seems like, you know, this was he kind of chose a lane. Things didn't work out. And, you know, he finished his final years in Florida. And, you know, it just seems like a very weird second chapter or second half to a story for somebody who created a song that has become such an iconic tale of of winter happiness. He didn't ride out into the sunset on a boring story. No, he didn't. He didn't. So, you know, his his song has become, you know, absolutely famous the world over. Uh, and he is uh, voted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um, you know, and I think deservedly so, you know, he, he, I would say so. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think, you know, just an interesting, uh, kind of person. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jay, but I want to make sure that we don't raise him up to be some awesome guy and we should make his birthday a national holiday because I think he did have a darker side, right? Yeah, he did. He did. And, And he, you know, let's, so let's talk about that for a moment, because in addition to the things we've already talked about, Scott mentioned earlier that when we were talking about the lineage of the song that he was in California at one point chasing the gold rush. And in order to do that, he had to abandon his wife and kids. Two years before she died, and he had a child with a woman that would also become his second wife. You know, he didn't attend his first wife's funeral or reunite with his children. So there were there were a number of things to suggest. There's a lot of yikes in there. Yeah, that he was, you know, perhaps of, you know, some questionable character when it came to being a family man and a father and all that stuff. I would like to say this, you know, agnostic of whether or not he was a sinner or a saint or whether he was right or wrong. We only get so many turns around the sun, right? And this guy coming from being born in Massachusetts to moving to Georgia, to being a part of a Unitarian congregation, to taking up arms with the South and writing battle anthems and writing jingle bells and moving to California and chasing the gold rush. Guy seems like he used every inch of the course, you know, so to that, I got to say, you know, I'm not judging him for how he used the course, but he, he certainly got a lot done. Right. I saw a great quote that summed it up nicely about his personal life. He's a deadbeat dad. He's a separatist. He supported slavery, and he wrote a song about drag racing and picking up chicks. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I mean, the, the separatist part is not so great, depending on where you sit today. But <laughs> Well, none, none of it was great, but, uh, but you're right. He led an interesting life, and we're not glorifying him by any stretch of the imagination. We're just saying this guy wrote a very famous song. Yeah. One more note, the family would again come to great national prominence uh, through James' nephew, famed capitalist J. Pierpont Morgan. Now, this is, I mean... Would that be the J.P. Morgan that we know? Yes. So, I mean, just a a massive, I mean, and another, you know, kind of uh, uh, fork off of this tree of the story that we've been telling. So... 
in addition to this being, you know, an all-time iconic Christmas song, the guy who wrote it is like an Easter egg of of stuff to dig into. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we'll talk about if it wasn't a Christmas song, what is it? Sound good? Sounds good. And we're back, Jay. So, if this song was not written as a Christmas song, which we've discussed, there's no Christian mentions in it, there's nothing about the holiday itself, what was this thing then? You know, I think it was a song about uh, hanging out at night and partying and and having a good time, which is, I think, transcends time. (laughs) (laughs) So, some historical accounts of this song say that it was first performed at a Thanksgiving service at that church where he was the music director. Okay. But historians argue that the lyrics were way too risque for a church audience. So they say it couldn't have been written as a church song. It was a, quote, slaying song, which I didn't know was a genre. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's kind of like, would that be the same as like a slaying song like today would that be lumped in with like caroling though i have no idea but if you think about the lesser known fourth verse of the song that we almost never hear it describes picking up girls drag racing on the snow and a high-speed crash yeah Uh, specifically historians talk about the lyrics quote take the girls tonight and quote go it while you're young and they say those are hardly holy verses so in their opinion, and I'm going to take their opinion because I'm not a, a religious scholar by any way, yeah. they're saying there is no way that was written for church. Yeah, I think that's not, it's not so thinly veiled, right? I, I would say so. Yeah. What else would you be doing with girls if you were taking them tonight while you're young, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's Nothing good. <laughs> the more that we talk about it, the racier it kind of seems. So, right. I mean, I guess the question is, how and when did the song really take off? Well, it was written at Simpsons Tavern. No! <laughs> Very nice. I had to get that in there. <laughs> but the tavern thing is really important. Right. There are stories of this song being popular in bars, well, pubs, in the late Victorian period. And during the chorus, patrons would shake the ice in their glasses like they were jingle bells. So this thing became popular as a drinking song. It was not written as a drinking song, which you'll find in in some questionable news outlets online. It was popularized because of that. And I could see that. It it is a fun, catchy song to... I I don't think I've ever sung it in public. Have you? Uh, Yeah, I'm sure that I have. Absolutely. I mean, with groups of people, for sure. And I'm sure you have too. You just probably, you know, you probably did it a couple months ago at something for your daughter and you just don't remember. Yeah, you probably are. You know what? This song is so ubiquitous that it almost kind of just fades into the background. You don't even think about it. Jay, coming up with the idea for this episode, I was thinking about, I wonder what the oldest recorded Christmas song is. Yes. And it's this one. This song was first recorded in 1889 on an Edison wax cylinder. Neat. It was believed to be the first Christmas record in history. Unfortunately, that record was lost, or that wax cylinder was lost. The earliest surviving recording that we have was made by the Edison Mail Quartet in 1898. It was also recorded on an Edison cylinder. It was part of a Christmas medley titled Sleigh Ride Party. You want to hear a clip of the earliest surviving version? Here we go. Yes. Bells on bobcats ring, 
I like that whoa there at the end. Primitive recording techniques aside, I don't think the song was well sung by today's standards. Even if that was a perfect recording, it was rushed in places. It just, I didn't think it was great, but I respect it for its being a historical curiosity. What do you think? Yeah, I I would agree with everything you just said. And I would add to, you know, forgive my ignorance, but I just assume like I, I always, or I shouldn't say assume, I often wonder like, is that just the quality of the recording or was everybody back then like just kind of (laughs) <laughs> that did people just sound like that? Well, they were probably all bent over singing into a horn, so it wasn't very okay. natural, and yeah. that could be part of it, and we weren't there. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. I brought a bunch of the early recordings of this, and what I want you to pay attention to as we go through these recordings here is I want you to see how there's an additive quality as recordings go on. Artists take something from earlier recordings, and I think you're going to see this build up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. So in 1902, the Hayden Quartet recorded the song. We don't have a version of that. I looked for it. I found some other recordings of the Hayden Quartet, but not of Jingle Bells. Uh, There's one from 1925. Unfortunately, I didn't get that one, but I do have one from 1935. This is Benny Goodman and his orchestra. It reached number 18 on the charts. Let me play a clip. should have mentioned that one is instrumental and it'll probably be the last instrumental we do until we get to some of the notable recordings later. In 1941, Glenn Miller and his orchestra had a number five hit with Jingle Bells on RCA Victor. Okay. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go laughing all the way Bells on bobtails ring Making spirits bright What fun it is to write and sing A slaying song tonight Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride In a one-horse open sleigh Jingle bells, jingle bells I don't mind the storm Bring your coats and hats You lukewarm cats I've got my horn to keep me warm What I thought was interesting about that version was that he kind of went into slang, you cats and and all that. I thought that was was neat. Yeah. Now we're up to 1943 when Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters recorded Jingle Bells on Decca Records. It reached number 19 on the charts. It sold over a million copies. And this one is considered... The definitive version of Jingle Bells. Through the snow in a one horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. 
bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. I don't know about you, Jay. I hear that one, and that is Jingle Bells to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have a couple more clips here on the early recordings. This is from 1951. This is Les Paul. Now, Les Paul was like the Moby or the Dead Mouse of the time. He was experimenting with multi-tracks and effects on his guitar. 1951, this was absolutely cutting edge. I, I did lie. This one is also instrumental. I don't think that's any kind of standout track, but it is interesting that he was multi-tracking and he was doing multiple takes and tracks on that and layering them together. In 1955, Jay, I think we've we've hit something here. This one, this is an important one. Don Charles from Copenhagen, Denmark, recorded a novelty version of Jingle Bells with dogs barking, and it sold a million copies in 1955. <laughs> I just want to take a second to recognize how much work that would have been in 1955. This is not like you can open up Adobe Audition, cut and paste a few things, drag some stuff around. You were actually cutting out and retaping together pieces of, of physical media to do that. And I can't even imagine how much work that would have been to pull yeah. off. Garage band. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to you, Don Charles. Jay, we have one last interesting piece about this before we take a break. This is the first song that was broadcast from space. Really? Not just the first Christmas song. This was the first song itself. Really? Interesting. I did not know that. Here's how the story goes. Nine days before Christmas in 1965, the two astronauts aboard Gemini 6 had just completed a rendezvous with Gemini 7, and the crew gave a troubling report to Mission Control. I brought a clip of it. Uh, 
So I apologize for the poor quality of that. That's about as good as it's going to get. And if it blew out anyone's ears or made them drive off the road, I apologize. So what you heard there was astronaut Wally Shearer becoming the first human to perform a musical instrument in space. It was an eight-note honer little lady harmonica that he smuggled aboard. In doing so, he created the first musical broadcast from space on December 16th, 1965. That harmonica now resides in the Smithsonian. I haven't seen it. I really would like to now. So next time I make it to the American History Museum, I'd really like to check that out. Yeah. Very, very, very cool story. And just, you know, that he thought to do that. And uh, again, having the foresight to do it. And it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, as I was reading this, before I got to what the the end of the story, I thought I would really like to see... to see like to see this like is there more this has got to be memorialized somewhere so yeah next time i get to dc i'm glad the story had a happy ending because if you smuggled a harmonica aboard and it caused some kind of catastrophic problem oh I, that's also <laughs> what i thought yeah yeah it's, it's me and you were in a capsule like good job jay thanks for smuggling a harmonica aboard i appreciate that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i brought this whoopee cushion up. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we take uh, one last break and when we come back we're gonna play a bunch of no Notable versions of Jingle Bells. Sound good? Sounds good. Jay, we're now to the part that people have probably been most waiting for, and that's to play a bunch of really cool versions of Jingle Bells. Awesome. I thought we would start with the real all-time classics. You know, we've already heard the version with Bing Crosby and the Andrews sisters. I think you're going to recognize these instantly. All right. The first one, this is Dean Martin from 1966. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. And I apologize, these are not in chronological order. I have Frank Sinatra from 1957. Dashing through the snow Doodle. in a one-horse open sleigh. Or the fields we go, Doodle. laughing all the way. Doodle. Bells on bobtail ring, making our spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. So those I would call the big three, the seminal ones. We got Bing Crosby, Dean Martin, and Frank Sinatra. I want to add one more to the list here. You know, History has just not given the prominence to female artists that I really think they deserve. This is Ella Fitzgerald from 1960. Now the ground is white, go it while you're young. Take the girls tonight and sing this slaying song. Just get a bobtail nag to 44 his speed. Then hitch him to an open sleigh and crack you take the lead. Oh, but fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! 
Love that vibration, syncopation of a one-horse open sleigh. This was a good pick. With those four versions in mind, Jay, I want you to start paying attention to the ones that we're going to play and see how these next artists are grabbing pieces from those and incorporating it into their music. I do want to add one more to a list of what I would consider classics, although this was from 2011, and I realize that's it's a little difficult to call it a classic, but this is Michael Buble, and he is going to be considered a classic crooner. Okay. So let me play him, and then we're going to get into some of the more offbeat and kind of you know, funky and interesting versions, all right? Yes. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh All the fields we go, laughing all the way Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing a sleigh song tonight Now, the female artists in that one, Jay, I think there's a callback there to the Andrews sisters from the Bing Crosby version. Yeah, and Buble is great, and he's uh, he's been on Saturday Night Live a bunch of times. A really funny guy, too. Now we're going to get to something that I think is probably your favorite part. We're going to get to some of the not classics of it. I wanted to really show and showcase the variety that's out there of this. And there is a variety. The first one I wanted to play is a reggae version. This is by Don Carlos and Glenise Spencer from 1984. Quick plug for our other show. If you like reggae versions of Christmas songs, we did an episode on Jingle Jank, and it is our second most popular of the 40 episodes that we've done. So go to jinglejank.com and look for that. Here's a punk version, Jay, by the Sex Pistols. I could not find a year on this one, but it's mm. probably sometime well, in the 70s. It's got to be a very short window of time. Yeah, exactly. Dashing through the snow in a one hot up and slay. How that feels we go, laughing all the way. Bells are pumped to ring, making spirits bright. Fun and it's a ride, I sing a slang song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Well, what fun it is to ride in one horse of a slave. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Well, what fun it is to ride in one horse of a slave. I have to imagine that song was done kind of as a goof by them. I wouldn't call it good, but I wanted to showcase the variety that this song can be done in. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, the original Sex Pistols were only a band for a few years in the late 70s, and yeah. there are other incarnations of them, but I think that okay. that sounded more modern in the late 70s, didn't it? it? It's really hard to say. I can't say that it was the original members of the Sex Pistols, because you're right, different members did come back together to do stuff. Right, right. I don't know. It's not what I would call good in any way. So why don't we yeah. move on from there? This is a surf guitar version from the Ventures in 1965. 
I love surf guitar music, Jay. Uh, and that Ventures album is is way up there on my list. Yes. I have a big band version from the Brian Setzer Orchestra. It's pretty modern. This this is a 1996 cut. Ah, uh, favorite of mine. That one had a ton of energy, and you're right, it was the swing revival of the mid-90s. I have a similar version to that from Gwen Stefani. This is from 2017, but I think it's kind of similar. Right, Jay. Now, under the idea of artists making it their own, here is a very chaotic version by Barbara Streisand from 1967. Babs. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. We're dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fears we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring. Making spirits bright. Oh, what fun it is to sing a slaying song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. A day or two ago. She took a lot of artistic license with the tempo there. It's not for me. I, I respect that the song is popular with some people, but it just makes me feel anxious. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just too much. It's like too show tuney. Here's a good one for you, though. Here's an R&B version by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles from 1970. Cleanse my palate. Dashing I love that one, Jay. So, so good. And it sounds like they were having a lot of fun when they made that. Yeah. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall during that recording. Unlike that Barbara Streisand atrocious thing that was like having a heart attack. <laughs> Let's put that one behind us. Uh, country's not my thing, but I know it is for a lot of people. Here's a country version by Dolly Parton from 1990. I'm a big fan. Spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a slaying song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what f
Loyal listeners of Jingle Jank, Jay, will remember how much you do not like the sound of children singing. Uh, yeah, that's not my, it's not my preference. I will tell you, I do like Dolly, though, quite a bit. That's a good cut. And Yeah, a good person, a good humanitarian, uh, just because yeah. it's not my thing. I totally respect her. Jay, I brought another country version. This one might be a little bit more my speed. This is by Johnny Cash and his family. Yes, the man in black. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Over the fields they go, dancing all the way. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. Oh, what fun to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. I don't know the specific circumstances of that recording of Johnny Cash and his family, Jay. Calling back to what you were talking about earlier, about this being kind of a song about revelry and partying, it sounded like somebody was having a real good time while that was being recorded. Yeah, it sounded like somebody, it sounded like this kid was screaming in the yeah. background. So I brought one more version here that I like. This is an acapella version by a band I absolutely love, and I've seen them twice. This is Straight No Chaser from 2009. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, I find it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, I find it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, dashing through the session, in a one-horse open sleigh. Or the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells and bobs are making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleigh song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to Jay, playing covers of Jingle Bells, we could have been here all weekend playing every cover, and there are probably listeners out there saying, you guys are idiots, you didn't play, I don't know, Pentatonix, you didn't play Andy Andy Williams, you didn't play this. I'm sure there are other versions of this song that people love and wanted to hear. Yes. This was just a sampling. I thought it was a really unique set of interesting versions of the song. It is not meant to be exhaustive in any way. Do you think listeners will cut us a little slack for that? Yeah, for sure. I probably should have reminded you that we do this, but did any of those versions stand out to you as, as one you liked the most? Or, yes. All right, so you so so the answer is yes. Yes. What was your favorite? I'm going to throw three, um, if I could pick three from this, actually. It's fine. This is not like a any kind of competition. These are just the standout tracks. Yeah, and, and, and they all come from, uh, you know, the, the, the latter half of the, uh, the listening that we did today. But I would say the Setzer version is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I had not heard the Straight No Chaser version, the last, the acapella. So that's definitely uh, an ad. Uh, and the R&B, the Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, that's like, you know, there are so many good versions of this song and if you only listen to like the Christmas music on the radio or on the TV or whatever you're only going to get the Andrew Sisters version more often than not you're not going to get a lot of these right so this is where you got to dig in I totally agree and I'm starting to build a record collection Jay nice and the interesting thing about records is I have almost any song I want available to me instantly digitally. Mm-hmm. I could pull it on iTunes. I could do it on YouTube, you know, Sirius. I could do it on uh, Spotify. That's not the point of a record. And I have to be 
much more careful about what I buy and collect as a record collector because I don't have unlimited money or storage space for this stuff. Right. The Smokey Robinson and the Miracles version, I want to own that record. Yeah. Because that is one that I'd say, yeah, I want to sit down and have an intentional listening experience with this. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. It makes sense. And I think there's probably some smarter people could describe what this phenomenon is, but there is a there's a rewarding and sort of ritualistic aspect to playing media, to physically having it, to putting it into a machine, to not being able to start or stop it instantaneously when you click a button, but to have it be something that's physically happening around you that is even in the form of just a, a record spinning on it. So I think that's different than digital music. Yeah. And for me, it's not even, it's, it's also not, not shuffling you know i sit down and i listen to the the album in the order that the artist or the producer decided to put it together in right it's telling a story yeah and that's like you know you don't do that like and this is one of those you know put this is a good remember when show topic like we were forced to listen to music without realizing it like like from beginning to end and and albums told stories and even if they didn't intend to tell a story you know you got used to listening to a series of songs like there's still songs i hear today many of them on the radio that i immediately expect the next song to be the next song on the album because my ear is trained for that you know that kind of thing so well that was that was a lot of fun jay i want to do a little housekeeping at the end of the episode please Uh, i don't want to do it at the beginning because i don't want to break the pace of the episode and some people frankly just don't want to hear it yes Our, our beloved godfather of this show Dwayne, did write in he answered our call about the snoopy's christmas episode and told us why the song snoopy's christmas is so big in new zealand and australia it's kind of a long email you want me to read it yeah please okay he says uh, he, he did some nice preamble saying we did a good job. Thank you, Dwayne. That does mean a lot to us. Specifically about the song First, I mentioned before growing up in the 1970s onwards, and the same 10 songs or so were rolled out each and every season. Last Christmas, Feliz Navidad, Band-Aid, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, and of course, Snoopy's Christmas came to mind. Why does it keep getting played? Well, perhaps it's a combination of nostalgia from Gen X and lazy programming on the part of radio stations. (laughs) There are dozens of better songs that should take its place on playlists, but I think at this point it would cause an uprising from those who love the song, my wife included. So how did it become so popular here? It comes down to one man, EMI's singles manager, Bruce Ward. Bruce started at EMI in 1967 as a sales manager the same year this song was released. Bruce approved the singles release here in New Zealand, and it quickly caught on. It sold over 100,000 copies, with shops running out daily. Five single presses were pressing hundreds of copies of this record each day to fulfill the demand. Even Philips Electronics Factory was printing copies by the thousands. These days, I suppose this would be called viral. Yeah, I I agree, Dwayne. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Well played, yeah. He said that the song kept selling well for many years after that. Incidentally, it was put onto a compilation album called The Best Christmas Album in the World Ever. And sales of that album went on went crazy, and that was 50 years ago. Nice. Uh, towards the end of the interview, reporter asked Bruce if he still listens to it. Bruce replies, no, I turn it off. I've heard it enough times. But I remember the catalog number was NZL985. That'll be my brain until I die because I ordered <laughs> it so many times. That's hilarious. He said, some radio stations in New Zealand won't play it at all and make a point of that. So you're either on one side of the fence or the other. There's no sitting on the fence with this one. So thank you, Dwayne. I really appreciate you writing in. I I found that information fascinating, and I never found it while we were doing our research. So 
Jay, uh, uh, just another example of listeners and former hosts of the show keeping us on our toes. Thank you very much, Dwayne. So that's our show today, Jay. I think we did Jingle Bells proud. I think our research was pretty good. Of course, listeners, if you disagree with us or you find something that we didn't get quite right or that we missed, please write in and let us know. Podcast at gmail.com or you can go to tinseltoons.com and find links to our social media accounts. So any closing thoughts, Jay? No, nothing more to add on the song, Scott. This has been a great, uh, great time talking about this. And this is when we when we're in the off season between uh, between holidays where we can dig in and get down into the, the history of these songs. And I learned a ton about this that I did not know. Uh, and Mr. Pierpont definitely led a storied life. We thank him for his song. Uh, and this has been a lot of fun, man. Until the next time. He could have been a better person, of course. Yes, but yes, yes, it was a lot of fun. And I can't wait until next month where we do this again with some other song. I, you know, the real joy of this, Jay, is, is learning all this really fascinating stuff and getting to share it. Yeah, absolutely. Please drop us a line, social media, rate the show on Apple Podcasts, please. And let us know if there are other songs in uh, areas of Christmas music history where you want us to dig down. Drop us a line and let us know. We'd love to do that. So until then, Jay, Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. 